the myth that if a home isn't selling, the best solution is to reduce the price. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's successful real estate professional as they share it with you. Let's go. A quick word from our sponsor, 24 Sound. 24 Sound is technically an audio production company, but they're way more than that. They're there to help you grow your business from audiobooks to podcasts and everything in between. They're flawless as sound engineers and they're strategic as business partners. Visit them at 24sound.com. You can also email them at hello at 24sound.com. And of course, as a best ever listener, you'll get a best ever discount. Mention best ever, and you'll get a 20% discount on your first product. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Jennifer Alan Hagenorn. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. Good morning. You pronounced that perfectly. Thank you. Oh, well, I, I had one round of practice because <laughs> I had a really good teacher right before this call. <laughs> Welcome to the show and excited to have Jennifer on the show. She is the author of nearly a dozen books on real estate sales, including Sell with Soul. She has been a real estate agent since 1996 and has been recognized as a top producer multiple years. She is a member of the REMAX Hall of Fame. I have multiple friends who are REMAX agents. Mm -hmm. I And she's an avid dog rescuer. And we'll talk a little bit about that and its relevancy later in the lightning. So with that being said, Jennifer, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more background on what you've been up to and what you're focused on now? I, um, as you said, I started in real estate in 1996. Um, I've been through a couple booms and a couple busts. Um, in ni- it's, I, I mean, I did pretty well. I didn't set the world on fire. I mean, I never sold, you know, 100 houses a year. I sold 70, but I never sold 100. I never made a million dollars in a year, but certainly made that and more throughout my, my career. I did, um, I spent a period of time in the middle of my career working almost exclusively with what I called amateur investors young guys and gals who had a little bit of extra cash and wanted to go capitalize on the market. So um, I did a lot of that work. And then um, later in my, well, that period and then later in my career, one of my specialties became, in my own mind, um, figuring out why a listing hasn't sold, either my own listings or, you know, listings of other agents. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. I left the practice of real estate in 2009 uh, to focus on my writing and training career. And so that's what I've been doing since then. I, I tried to do both and it just, it, it, it really was kind of a, it wasn't working in either of my careers. So now I focus um, on writing for the real estate industry and saving um, the shelter dogs of the Florida Panhandle. Well, you have definitely piqued my curiosity on why listings don't sell. So let's get right into it. What is your best real estate investing advice (laughs) ever? All right. Well, what I wanted to talk about today, and again, I really appreciate this opportunity because I think it's a message that needs to get out there both to the real estate industry as well as those people who hire those of us in the real estate industry. And that is the, the myth that if a home isn't selling, the best solution is to reduce the price. 
Okay. Now, I'm coming to you today again from the perspective of a real estate agent and a real estate trainer, not as someone on the other side, although I have certainly been that person on the other side. I've done a lot of real estate investing myself. But if you ask a group of real estate agents what to do if their listing isn't selling, and I have asked that question to hundreds of real estate agents when I'm out there you know, doing my live presentations on the subject, the answer is always, and I mean always, to reduce the price. Well, I disagree with that. Now, of course, reducing the price might very well do the trick, but that doesn't mean that it's the only or, or even the best solution. I compare it to, say, going to a doctor because you have a pain in your knee and your doctor says, well, I guess what we need to do is cut your leg off. You know, or let's say that your toilet's leaking and the plumber says, well, hmm, your toilet's broken, let's just rip it out. Now, yes, those, those solutions will solve those problems that you presented, <laughs> but obviously they aren't the only or the best solutions. Okay, so what do I mean by that related to real estate? Well, in my experience, there is almost always at least one fixable thing, and probably more, but at least one fixable thing that is keeping a home from selling. Now, by fixable, I mean that it can be corrected or improved upon, and here's the kicker. It's almost always cheaper for the homeowner to fix or improve the problem than to price for it so that the potential buyers will overlook it. For example, let's say, and this is a real-world example from my real estate career, let's say that a home has a structural problem and it causes the floors to slope noticeably. Okay, so let's say that the market value of that home, if it did not have the sloping floors, would be, let's say, $300,000. Now, anybody who has, you know, dealt in the real estate, been in the real estate industry knows that sloping floors are very difficult to get a buyer to overlook, right? So in order to entice a buyer to consider a home that, um, that has a, you know, a perceived structural problem, it's going to cost a whole lot more in a price reduction than it would cost to simply fix the floors. Um, again, I had this exact situation when I was a real estate agent. There was a home on the market in my Denver market that had started at $300,000. Okay, the seller had reduced his price down to 229000 because of the structural issues. Now, this was a $300,000 house all day long if it didn't have the floor issue. My buyer came along, offered the seller $215,000, the seller took it. Interestingly, then my buyer went out, got a structural contractor, had him come in, look at the floors, figured out he could fix it for $15,000. He asked the seller for the $15,000 and got it. Wow. Okay. So he ended up buying a $300,000 house for about $200,000, spent the fifteen grand, and had himself a $300,000 house. So had the seller done that, he'd have come out you know, quite a bit ahead. Okay. So that's kind of an extreme example. Um, how about a much simpler one? Have you, know, you ever tried to look at a house and you weren't able to because there were seller-imposed restrictions on showings or the lockbox didn't work or the key didn't work in the lock? Okay, fixing something as simple as that can mean the difference between a listing that sells and a listing that sits. Okay, something in the middle. A house that has ugly carpet or damaged wood floors. Most homeowners and their agents will say, oh, we'll just offer an allowance for that. Okay, and the seller and the buyer can, can pick out their own carpet or get their own floors redone. The problem is 
to do that isn't going to work nearly as well as just getting it done because you're not creating a good impression. So, you know, spend the money, get the work done, as opposed to trying to entice buyers to overlook something that emotionally is, is unappealing. So does this make sense so far? Absolutely. So what I call my approach to non-selling listings is solve the problem instead of reducing the price. During my, my real estate practice, I mean, I never put this down in words, but it was I created a process for actually what I did when I was presented with a non-selling listing, either my own or the um, expired listing that had been listed with another agent and, and it didn't sell. So that's what I wanted to just go through. I know we don't have a ton of time, but I thought it might be fun. I could kind of whip through my little process and, and see if it's helpful to your people. That's yes. on the right? Yep. Okay. Phase one, it's a three-phase process, and it's something you can just go through. Every time you have a listing that, say, it's been sitting there for a month or you have a property that you're trying to sell and it's been sitting there for a month, and you're like, oh, this should have sold. Okay. It's a three-phase process you can go through. The first phase is what I call uncover the data. What I mean by that is that you're going to do some detective work into the listing itself to see what you see, and you will always see something that can be improved. If you don't see anything that can be improved, if you can't find anything, then you need to go look again because you're not looking hard enough. Now, there may be a few exceptions to that, and we can touch on those later if we have time. Okay, so phase two is where you analyze the data that you collected or you uncovered in phase one. Um, You spend some quality time with that information that you gathered in the first phase and see what it's telling you. And again, I have to emphasize, it is telling you something. Um, Phase three is where you make adjustments based on your findings or at this point you decide that the adjustments aren't worth the bother and then you can go back and just simply do a price reduction. Okay, now phase one is probably the most important part of the process and obviously phases two and three build on phase one. So let me go into that in some detail and again, if we have time, we can hit on the other two phases but I think they'll be kind of obvious once we get through phase one. Phase one is where you're going to ask a lot of questions and do some research. If you're the real estate agent, okay, you're going to be asking these questions of what you've done so far far, or the previous agent, if it's an expired listing. If you're the homeowner or the investor, then, you know, you can still ask these questions about your situation. Okay. These are the questions you're going to want answers to. How many showings did we have? What was the feedback? What was the process for setting showings? Was the seller home? Was somebody there during most showings? What were the notice requirements for showings? Was there a lockbox on the property? What did the seller do to prepare for showings? And why does the seller think that the home hasn't sold? Now, if you're really lucky, (laughs) the answer to the reason your property hasn't sold is in these answers, okay, to maybe one or two of the questions. For example, if the seller is usually home for showings or if somebody's there for showings, this can be a big problem and it's very easily solved, obviously, tell them not to be there. If the showing notice requirements or the access instructions are unreasonable, that definitely affects marketability. If there's a problem with the lockbox or the key, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I tried to show homes in Denver, couldn't get in the property because of the lockbox or key. I'd call the listing agent and they'd scold me for not being able to figure it out. 
And I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> fine. And um, the house would fit and fit and fit and fit. So that can be a very simple solution. Get the key fixed. Get the lockbox fixed. Uh, if you're getting negative feedback consistently, not just one or two, but consistently about a feature or a factor, that's something you probably want to think about addressing. Okay. Now, there, there is probably something on that list of questions, at least one thing that is affecting most properties on the market. Okay. Now, again, if you're really lucky, you can fix that one thing and then bam, your property will sell. But in all likelihood, it's probably not the, the whole story. The next step in phase one is to review the MLS listing. Go through the MLS listing if it's yours, because it's your listing, or it's another agent's listing, or if you're the investor, the homeowner, you know, look at the MLS listing that your agent has. You're going to be looking for some red flags. A bad MLS listing, again, can kill the chance of your, your property selling. Okay, first, um, first thing you're going to look for, is the property address correct, and is it spelled right? And I'm serious about that, okay? If it's not correct and that, that's a possibility, you got a problem. I've done it. I'm not just blaming other people. I've actually done that myself. Look at the number of bedrooms and bathrooms and the other common buyer filters, you know, when they're looking for properties online, and make sure that those fields are all completed properly and correctly. Look at the showing instructions. Do the showing instructions talk about any showing restrictions? As a buyer agent... If I see something in showing instructions that's going to make it more difficult for me to show, I may very well pass that, that listing by. Speaking of that, it's, you know, depending on how, how things work in your market, look at the showing phone number if you have a showing phone number and make sure it's right. I put the wrong one in once on one of my listings, didn't have a showing for three weeks, couldn't figure it out. <laughs> Finally figured it out that I had the showing number wrong. Okay, And once we got it right, we started getting showings. Um, are the showing instructions for your listing typical or do they require the agents to, to do something different from what they're used to doing? I know a lot of real estate agents really like um, to set showings themselves in markets where that's not the norm. And if, that, if I remember as a buyer's agent, if I saw that I had to set it through the listing agent, I would skip that property unless I had to, had to see it because I just didn't want to mess with the listing agent. In Denver, we had showing services. Are the photos attractive? obviously. Are they realistic and are they up to date? Okay, pictures, as we all know, are very important and at least half of them out there are absolutely dreadful. So if you're the seller, I don't understand why sellers put up with the awful, awful pictures that are in the MLS. So if you're the seller, go look at those pictures, make sure they're good. And if they're not, talk to your agent about it. Speaking of the MLS, read the MLS description and make sure it's appealing but accurate, that you're not over-promising and under-delivering. That can be a real kiss of death for a property. If you're over-promising it to get people in, but when they get there, they're disappointed, they aren't going to buy it. Okay, you're much better off being realistic and even having people be a little pleasantly surprised when they show up as opposed to disappointed. Okay, is your price just above a natural threshold? Say 305, 405, 327, something like that. And then finally, Take a look at the listing and the photos. Is there something special about the property, like a nice view or proximity to a trendy shopping district or something that you're pricing for, but it's not highlighted in the listing and therefore just making your listing look overpriced? Um, the third step in phase one is to do an up-to-the-minute market analysis to see where your listing falls in the current market. 
Now, we're obviously looking to see if it's priced right, because that is important, but there are several other things that a good quality CMA might tell you, like if there's a glut of competition. Uh, something it might tell you is, this is we're kind of playing detective still, but is a certain model or floor, what you want to do is you want to look and see what is selling versus what's not selling and sort of look for a common denominator. So let's say, you know, there's a certain floor plan in your area that is selling and the other floor plans aren't, or maybe only the four bedroom homes are selling or the three car garage homes are selling, but the three bedroom homes and the two car garages aren't. And, you know, your property is one of the ones that isn't selling. So take a look and see if you can see any common denominators there. Pretty interesting when you do that. So to see what you see, not you may, may not necessarily be able to fix it, but it, it'll help you figure out what's going on. Another thing that the CMA might tell you, and this is a real bummer what it does, but it might tell you that nothing is selling right now. When that's the case, when do you have no sales in the market area, there's really, there may not be a lot that you can do right now to fix that. The last step in, in phase one is to go spend some quality time in the home which you may not have done for a while. Just go, go to the home, walk around, look at everything, and objectively evaluate the appeal to see if there's something you've missed that you can improve upon or correct. So um, in phase one, it, that really is where the magic happens. So um, phase two and three, basically in phase two, you look at what you uncovered and figure out what to do about it. And in phase three, you decide whether or not you're going to do anything about it or if you're just going to, to price. What I want to say real quickly is speaking to the real estate agents in the crowd is that the beauty of using this approach is that you're giving your seller clients a choice. They can either make the improvements that you recommend, but if they don't want to, they can go ahead and reduce the price instead, but it's their choice. It's not you just coming at them saying, oh, oops, you know, your house isn't selling, we need to reduce the price. Sellers don't like that. Trust me, I've been a seller and I don't like it when that's the only thing the real estate agent suggests. So when you give them a choice, then you have a much better likelihood of getting either the stuff done or getting the price reduction that you need. I love that. And I think it's not only applicable to single family homes, but the philosophy mm -hmm. of don't just automatically lower your price, look at identifying what the issue is yeah. through this methodical process and then see if it makes financial sense to fix it mm -hmm. because you can use that approach for storage units, for large apartment communities, for whatever you're actually selling, warehouses, retail, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a there's a large a large insight on how to approach whenever you're selling your house or your property. Uh, and then obviously with the single family homes and um, really one to one to four units, probably mm -hmm. um, this is uh, this is applicable um, from the very granular step by step process. That well, you, you know, real estate is not a commodity. You know, you can't I mean, if you're selling socks, this approach probably isn't going to work. But every piece of real estate is different. And so it's not, there, there is a lot more you can probably do to it than just say, oh, it's 350 now, let's reduce it to 325. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yep. A quick word from our best ever sponsor. Best ever listeners, if you want to grow your business, you need an audio product. Contact 24sound at 24sound.com for a free consultation. And remember, you'll get 20% off your first product 
just by mentioning best ever. Best ever success habit you practice. This one is easy. And this is speaking um, as a real estate agent. And I, oh, I would just, I would love for the real estate industry to embrace this. So if we can change that today, that'd be cool. Anyway, I always, always, always prioritized my current clients over my future ones. In other words, I always made sure that the clients I was honored to have today were completely taken care of before I spent any effort pursuing new clients. The cool thing about that was that I hardly ever had to prospect because I took such good care of my clients. When they were my clients, they took very good care of me throughout my career. Best prospecting ever. Take care of your clients. Best ever dog rescue that you've done, and how does it translate to real estate? Uh, we had a little pit bull come into the shelter who had a bullet. He had a broken jaw, broken in half jaw, covered in fleas, ticks, had heartworms. Sweetest little dog you can ever imagine. Sweetest, kindest, gentlest dog ever. But he was a mess, and he had obviously been abused. He'd been fought. I pulled him out of the shelter, brought him to my house, fostered him for two weeks. We found a home for him in Virginia. Um, it took a, a village to get him from, you know, the Florida Panhandle to Virginia. They love him, adore him. I get pictures of him all the time, and every time I just see this, and we, he drools like crazy because he has this broken in half jaw. And so, it, but just when I get the pictures of, of Boss Man, with and with his his drool rag, they have drool rags all over the house to to wipe up his his drool. I just it just makes me realize how what I do is is worth it, even with all the you know the sadness that comes with it sometimes. Um, but what's interesting, what I had talked to Kyle about when we were talking about the show was that I was a real estate agent for a long time, and I was rather good at it, if I do say so myself, and I enjoyed it. And rescue is so much like real estate. And I, I draw, you know, comparisons all the time. And, you know, just a few examples is one, you know, you have these emotional highs and devastating lows all in the same day. I mean, it's a roller coaster of emotions. And you could just be dancing on the clouds one minute and the next, you know, you're, you're curled up in bed in a fetal position, you know, going, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened. Uh, you know, the paychecks in real estate and rescue. They're very different paychecks, obviously. But when you're a real estate agent, you make big paychecks. When you're in dog rescue, you save lives. And so you really are pushed. You know, it's, it's, it's big money or life and death. I will say a couple things that have made me successful, both as a real estate agent and as an animal rescuer, is that I know my inventory. When I was a real estate agent, I knew my market. I knew where people could find the properties they wanted and what the amenities were going to be. In rescue, I know my inventory. I know my dogs. Somebody's looking for a particular kind of dog or then, or they're interested in a dog, they can ask me a question about them and I can answer it. I can tell them the dog's temperament, their behavior. Are they good with males, females, kids, cats? I know my inventory and I can move that dog and find it the right owner. The other thing that's a secret in rescue and real estate is to have a great team, to know who else in the world out there can help you when you need help and that they like you and trust you already so that when you call them for help, they're ready, willing, and able to go to work for you, knowing who they are, having their trust, and then, of course, helping them out when, when they need it. One last is understand when you're working with your client or with the rescue, the people, the adopters, is understand the why, not the what, is when somebody says, oh, I like that house on 123 Main Street, but say it's under contract or it's, you know, something else, 
understand why they like that house, not just that they like that house. And with rescue, it's the same thing. I get people all the time saying, I want a lab. I need a purebred lab. Find me one of those. And I say, well, why do you want a lab? Instead of saying, oh, well, let me go find you one, which I will do. Well, why do you want a lab? And they'll tell me, and I'm like, you know what? We have this dog who isn't a lab at all, but it's exactly what you're looking for. And often as not, they adopt that dog, even though they had their heart set on a lab, but this dog ended up being exactly what they wanted and, and were happy with. Best ever quote. Well, I alluded to this um, in my best ever practice, and that is that the clients I have today are far more important to me than the clients I hope to have tomorrow. Maybe that's why I never had to prospect. So that's a quote I came up with. I do have one more, which is courtesy of Pearl S. Buck, and that is, the secret of joy in work is one word, excellence. To know how to do something well is to enjoy it. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? The biggest mistake probably I ever made was not trusting my gut when I was considering a business development activity, you know, something to, to build my business. And something would feel kind of icky, it would feel cheesy, silly, and I tried it anyway. And I caught on pretty quickly that I shouldn't be doing that, but I think it was the money I spent in trying to implement business development strategies that one, didn't work for me, and two, were icky in my mind. So kind of the ick factor and the money that I spent. What's the best ever place to reach you? My website is sellwithsoul.com, easy sell with soul, S-O-U-L, dot com. If you go there, you can find everything you need to know about me and, and certainly get in touch with me, which would be great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice, Jennifer, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then head to JoeFairless.com, where there are tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And if you want Joe to personally help you reach your goals, then go to the Work With Joe tab on JoeFairless.com and apply to, well, Work With Joe. 